Chapter twenty three of The Curious Quest by E. Phillips Oppenheim. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter twenty three. At about five o'clock on the following afternoon, Bliss drove the car into the garage of the Sun Motor Company. He was covered with dust and a little tired after his long ride from Salisbury. Otherwise, he was in excellent spirits. It was a month nearer to the end of his great experiment, he had four weeks' wages to draw, and, with reasonable luck, he felt almost certain of being taken on again as a regular chauffeur. He drove the car into a vacant space and stopped to look about him. The garage seemed unusually empty, and there was an absence of any stir or sign of business pressure. He made his way to the office. The youthful manager was sitting there, smoking a cigarette and reading a newspaper. Two strangers were engaged upon the books at a neighbouring desk. "'Bought the Woolsey back, sir?' Bliss announced. The manager nodded. "'We had a cheque for the balance of the high this morning,' he remarked. "'The young lady,' he added condescendingly, "'seems very pleased with your services.' "'I did my best, sir.' Bliss replied. The car went very well all the time. I'm hoping that you'll give me a regular job now, uh, for a matter of six months at any rate. The young man shook his head. Bad luck, Bliss. Can't promise anything at the moment. Fact is, uh, he glanced towards the two men at the other end of the room, the governor's been speculating. We're in liquidation. Bliss's heart sank. He had tuppence in his pocket, and he was exceedingly thirsty. "'Shall I get the balance of my four-week salary?' he inquired anxiously. "'Yes, we'll, we'll see to that,' the manager promised, rising and making his way towards one of the men at the desk. "'It's about all we can do for you, though.' "'Can't even give me a week's job while I look round, I suppose?' Bliss asked wistfully. "'Can't be done,' the other declared. "'You weren't one of our regulars, you know.' Leave your address. If things go right, we'll do what we can for you. So Bliss left the place, once more one of the unemployed. He carried his few belongings round to his old lodgings, arranged with Mrs. Heath, who was genuinely glad to see him, to take his old room again, and afterwards he hurried round to Frances' apartment. He met her on the doorstep, and his heart sank as she turned to greet him. Even to the mended gloves she was wearing exactly the same clothes as when he had left her last. Her mouth was a little harder. There were hollows in her cheeks. Nevertheless, for the moment, her smile was transfiguring. She held out both her hands. "'Ernest!' she exclaimed. "'Oh, it's good to see you again!' He gripped her hands and forgot to let them go. "'You had my letters?' he asked. She nodded. "'I loved having them,' she admitted. "'I didn't write to you as often as I meant to, but it was so hard. There seemed nothing to say, and I didn't want to depress you. When did you get back?' "'This afternoon,' Bliss told her. "'About half an hour ago. I have four weeks' money in my pocket, less a small advance. I've been kept all the time, and I've been saving like anything.' "'I'm not sure that I approve of your touring round the country with a single young woman,' 
Francis said. Bliss laughed. Quite compromising, wasn't it? However, there was always you. We had one adventure up at Newmarket I must tell you about. The rest of the time was pretty uneventful, but such a rest. I left the lady down at Salisbury this morning, with some relations, and brought the car back to the garage. Come and have some dinner. She hesitated for a moment, then she yielded. He had a horrible suspicion that she was faint with hunger. They started off towards Drury Lane. "'I suppose the sun people will keep you on now?' she asked. "'That's the dickens of it,' he sighed. "'I've got a fine testimonial, but they've gone into liquidation.' She laughed bitterly. "'Our luck isn't in, is it?' she remarked. "'Do you know that brute Montague wouldn't give me a reference?' "'The hound!' Bliss muttered. "'I have others, of course,' Francis went on. "'But everyone seems so suspicious. "'They all want to know why I left my last place. I, "'I've had nearly enough of it, Ernest. "'I've almost made up my mind to go back to Mr. Masters.' "'Why not?' Bliss agreed, after a moment's thought. "'He was a good chap. "'He'd sooner you went back.' "'If I go back to Mr. Masters, I shall marry him,' she interrupted. "'I have almost decided to. I was only waiting till you came back to tell you.' "'Marry him you never will,' Bliss declared firmly. "'Now, let's chuck it for a time. We're going to have dinner and enjoy ourselves, and we're just going to remember that we're both young, with the future before us, and that you are the girl who is going to be my wife.' and whom I'm going to make very happy indeed. Only believe in me, and have a little more confidence. You're a brave dear, she sighed, but facts are like hunger, stubborn, stubborn as they can be. There's nothing stubborn about my hunger anyway, Bliss assured her, as they turned in at the little restaurant, and took their places at a table close to the wall. I'm going to make it yield, and yield quickly. I feel, somehow or other, that we are nearer to fortune tonight than we ever were. He ordered dinner under her careful supervision, and told her of his adventures while they ate. By degrees she became interested. Her manner became more animated, and the colour returned gradually to her cheeks. "'It's delightful to have you here again,' she said. I seem to lose that lonely feeling that makes London so horrid. Do you know, I think I shall sleep tonight. Well, you're going to have a try, and that very soon, he answered. I shall take you to your rooms as soon as we have finished dinner. But you've got to promise me one thing. I think I'll promise you anything, she murmured. "'You've got to promise me that you won't return to Mr. Masters without letting me know.' She nodded. "'I'll promise that. But, Ernest, you may as well know the truth. I haven't done a day's work since you went away, and I'm pretty near penniless. I haven't sent anything to the girls for five weeks, and I am beginning to owe my landlady money.' "'No, not that.' she cried sharply, as she saw Bliss's hand steal towards his pocket. "'I won't borrow from you. I won't.' "'Why not?' he pleaded. "'No one else has the right to lend you money, Francis.' 
Besides, putting everything else on one side, aren't we pals together, dear? Just at this moment you're a little harder up than I am. It may be the other way in a few months' time. Be sensible, dear. I've got four golden sovereigns in my pocket, and I don't owe a copper. Halves, please. She pushed his hand gently away, but she sat for a moment in silence, her eyes fixed upon the opposite wall. "'Please, Francis,' he begged, "'I'm sure to get another job soon, and two pounds will last me for a long time. Don't make me absolutely miserable by refusing.' He saw her lips tremble. It was one of the bitterest moments of her life. "'I will take a sovereign, Ernest,' she whispered. "'It will keep my landlady quiet.' He slipped it into her hand. Her fingers, as she took it, shivered. "'The other,' he said, "'I will keep for you. Now, if you are ready, we will go.' They walked slowly back to her rooms, and parted on the doorstep. Bliss, too, went to bed early. He had a long day before him on the morrow. More than ever he realised the necessity of finding work, and finding it quickly. End of chapter 23 Chapter 24 At ten o'clock on the following morning, Bliss was ushered, without announcement—it cost him half a crown—into Mr. Montague's private office. Mr. Montague glanced up, and when he recognised his visitor, showed his teeth. "'What do you want here?' he inquired. Bliss produced a heavy leather whip from his inner pocket. That also had cost him half a crown. "'Take up your pen and write what I tell you,' he ordered. "'What the devil do you mean, coming into a gentleman's office and—' Bliss struck the desk in front of him so that the papers rattled. "'Write,' he insisted. Mr. Montague took up his pen. "'Francis Clayton was in my employ.' Mr. Montague dropped his pen, and a moment later howled with pain as the leather thong struck his knuckles. He stretched out his hand for the bell, but Bliss swiftly removed it from his reach. "'If you call for help,' he said, "'or touch that telephone, you'll get the thrashing you deserve. If you'll write what I tell you silently, you may escape it.' Mr. Montague opened his lips and closed them. "'Francis Clayton was in my employ for some months,' Bliss continued, "'as a typist.' I found her conscientious, capable, and intelligent. She left at her own desire. Mr. Montague wrote as he was bidden, and signed his name. Bliss took the sheet of paper from him and folded it up. "'Good morning, Mr. Montague.' "'You wait till I get my hand on you, young fellow,' Mr. Montague spluttered. Bliss dangled the whip thoughtfully. He seemed to be still deliberating as to its use. "'You deserve it, you know.' Mr. Montague shrank back. His high colour seemed to have become less evident. Bliss, with a little laugh, turned away. "'It's a good whip,' he remarked. "'Good honest leather. I won't spoil it.' He walked out, borrowed an envelope from the young gentleman in charge of the outer office, addressed the reference to Francis, and posted it in the nearest letter-box. 
Then he made his way down to a neighbouring labour bureau, and wrote down a list of likely places. He spent four hours making applications for the various posts, only to find them either filled or that he himself was unsuitable. A taxicab driver, whom he met in the waiting-room of a motor engineer's workshop, gave him a few useful hints. "'These labour bureaus,' he explained, "'are all right for odd jobs of the very roughest sort, but they're no use to us. Take my tip, and go to Hollins in Shaftesbury Avenue, kind of a registry office, but they get nearly all the chauffeur's places.' It'll cost you a bit, but it's worth it. Bliss thanked him and walked to Shaftesbury Avenue. By the time he had parted with five shillings and discovered that no one wanted a chauffeur, it was nearly seven o'clock. He went to his rooms, had a wash, and started out to call for Frances. She came down the stairs reading the testimonial from Mr. Montague. Whatever's the meaning of this, I wonder? she asked. I got it out of the little brute. Bliss grunted. She pressed his arm as they walked down the street. "'How did you manage it?' He told her of his visit in a few sentences. She said very little, but her eyes glowed as she listened. "'And now, about yourself,' he went on, changing the subject abruptly. "'Any luck today?' "'I have to apply again tomorrow at ten o'clock at Woburn's,' she announced. "'There seems to be a chance.' They're stock exchange people, and they're giving a girl who has been ill until tomorrow morning to come back to work. If she's not there by ten o'clock, I'm going to sit right down and work, if I can bring a reference from my last employer, she added. So you can't tell how much you have done for me? I was almost going to write to Mr. Montague. I wonder what's wrong here, Bliss remarked, glancing towards a motor car drawn up to the edge of the road and surrounded by a little crowd. Should we go and see? They pushed their way to the front. There were no signs of an accident, but something had evidently happened. The motor-car, a small grey coupé, was drawn up at the side of the road. A smartly dressed young man, who had apparently just descended, was standing rather helplessly on the pavement. "'Can any of you fellows drive?' he asked. "'My chauffeur's been taken ill.' The group of onlookers had gathered around the taxicab in which the chauffeur had been placed, and Bliss was almost the only one who heard the young man's inquiry. "'I'll take you anywhere you like,' he offered. "'Little panhard, isn't it? I can manage that all right.' The young man gave a sigh of relief. Then he looked at Bliss for a moment in a puzzled way. "'The devil!' he murmured softly. Bliss feared at first that he was recognised. The young man, however, made no further reference to the surprise which had evidently overtaken him. "'I wish you'd drive me to Prince's restaurant,' he said. "'I'm late for a dinner-party there as it is.' "'With pleasure, sir,' Bliss assented. "'I must just find out what hospital they're taking my fellow to,' the young man continued. "'I don't think there's much the matter with him, but it's his first day out after an operation, and he's a bit weak.' Bliss started up the car, and in a few minutes the owner of it returned and took his place. "'Lucky I found someone quickly,' he remarked as they glided off. "'I can see you know all about cars. Been a chauffeur long?' "'Some little time,' Bliss replied. 
I am just now out of a job owing to the Sun Motor Company going into liquidation. Once more his companion looked hard at Bliss. For some reason or other, he seemed immensely interested in his appearance. "'Good character?' he asked. "'I have excellent references, sir,' Bliss assured him. "'Would a temporary place be of any use to you?' "'As chauffeur, sir?' "'To tell you the truth, well, we'd better talk about it to-morrow. Here's five shillings, anyway, for bringing me here.' They stopped outside Prince's restaurant. Bliss's prospective employer prepared to descend. "'Where shall I go with the car, sir?' Bliss asked. "'Just take her round to the garage, uh, number 14 Bulow Street.' "'Would you like me to meet you later on, sir?' the young man shook his head. Uh, "'Not to-night. You can come round and see me to-morrow.' "'Certainly, sir.' "'Number 27, Arlton Court, Alston Street. Ask for Mr. Dorrington.' "'What address did you say, sir?' Bliss asked, dumbfounded. "'Number 27, Alton Court.' Mr. Dorrington called over his shoulder. "'Don't be later than ten o'clock. I may be able to find you a job.' Bliss pulled himself together and took the car back to the garage. He reached the restaurant in Drury Lane, where Francis was waiting for him, in less than twenty minutes. He displayed the five shillings exultantly and promptly ordered a bottle of wine. "'This is A-1,' he declared. "'I go out and earn the price of our dinner.' while you sit waiting for it. She shook her head reproachfully. You silly boy! That five shillings ought to be going towards your week's keep, and not our dinner. Rubbish! he exclaimed gaily, as he took his place at the table. We're both getting too serious, Francis. We must endeavour to cultivate a spirit of light-heartedness, a more complete bohemianism, so to speak. I have a conviction that everything is going to turn out all right for us. And tomorrow morning... Well, what about tomorrow morning? Tomorrow morning you are going to find an excellent situation, and I am going to call upon that young gentleman who gave me the five shillings. Going to call upon him at the queerest place in the world. Do tell me where that is? she asked. Number 27, Alton Court. "'And why is that the queerest place in the world?' "'I'll tell you that some other day,' he promised. End of chapter 24